Um, we're going to do a quiz, um, and you will be glad to know that with this quiz, we could flip over to my laptop, there are actual chocolate prizes, because I'm sure nobody has had enough chocolate in the last couple of days, have they? Um, so, could you guys go and get that box of heroes there? We have 12 questions, um, one for each month of the year. As soon as you have the answer, wait until I finish reading out the whole question, please. No cheating in advance. Uh, when I've read out the whole question, put your hand up, and these guys are going to look choose a person with a hand up wait until the end of the question Jim honestly it's terrible um, and then uh, if you get it right then you get a, uh, a seller, what is it a Cadbury's hero so January which famous 97 year old had a car crash in this month I reckon it was Owen middle at the back shout very loudly Prince Philip, correct. Well done. So, Jim, do you want to run a suite up to Owen at the back there? Excellent. February, at the Oscars, the award for best picture went to... Go. Yep, George. Green Book. Excellent. Um, I don't watch films, so um, I had to check to see whether that was right before I said yes. Um, uh, who was the Prime Minister of the UK in March? Yep, over there. Theresa May... Yes, it is. There's Theresa May doing some nice dancing. Um, uh, April, this building is... Gemma, you've got a mic over in the corner there. Hang on. End of the question, I said, Anne. Honestly, this is terrible. This is what happens when you're a family of teachers. Um, uh, the next one was, this building was devastated by fire in this month. What is it? I'm going to give it to Michelle because Anne had her hand up from before the end of the question, which is not what the rules say. Michelle. It's Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Correct. Jem, Michelle is next. Jem had a, a, a Fitbit for Christmas. Jem had a Fitbit for Christmas. This is excellent for his step count, isn't it? Um, May, Britain's entry came last at Eurovision. How many points did they get to within five? So if you're within five, then you get it right. Ooh, interesting. Nobody, yeah, there's one hand at the back. What was that? I need to shout louder than that. Zero. Actually, for once, we didn't get zero. Not far off zero. Helena. Nine. That'll do. We got 11 points, apparently. So that's within five. There you go. Apparently, most of them were from Ireland, so I was told. Uh, that's Helena there. Uh, next, June. President Trump sent an excellent letter to this man in June. Who is he? Important quotation marks there. Excellent. Um, anyone? Oh, yeah. Hand up in the middle. Uh, yeah, correct. There you go. Yeah, yeah, close enough. I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah. And they're right in the middle of there. If you get it right, can you keep your hand up for um, the chocolatiers to come around and donate some chocolate to you? The highest ever temperature in the UK was recorded in July. What was it to within two degrees? Yeah, go for it. Sorry? Oh, just about. It was 38.7. So 37 is just about within two degrees. At the back near. At the Cambridge University Botanic Garden, apparently, so I read. Um, in August, slightly more tricky one maybe, one of England's oldest football clubs was declared bankrupt and expelled from the Football League. Who was it? Andrew. It was indeed Berry FC. Well done, Andrew. Nearly there, September. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, by this point, removed the whip from how many Conservative MPs were refusing to back his Brexit bill? Keith, you should know this. 
21 is correct. Well done. Yes. Um, three more, if I master correct. October, the first ever sub two hour marathon was run in October by who? Anyone? Oh, yep, yeah, go for it. I have to shout louder. Nope, not Mo Farah. Yes, well done. Elliot Kipchoge, that's close enough, I'll give you that. Although he was wearing magic shoes, so I'm not sure it actually counts. Um, November, who won the 2019 Rugby World Cup? Oh, yep, great, Sarah. And who was it, do you know? Ooh, no, it wasn't. It, yep, Jem gets a sweet for himself, wherever the sweets have gone. Uh, it was South Africa, yeah. If it had been England, if they had won the final, that question probably wouldn't have made its way into the quiz. Um, December, the last one is, who did Time Magazine name their Person of the Year for 2019? There's a hand, I can't see who it is. Is it Jess? Yeah, yeah, go for it. It was indeed Greta Thunberg. There you go. One more. Have we got any more chocolates left? It's okay if not, because Owen's had one. They should have shared. No, it's okay. We've got one left. Yeah, run straight to the back. And then we are done. A big round of applause for all of our winners and our children who have helped us out. Um, so, yeah, this morning we're looking at this idea of reflecting on the last year. Um, we're just going to talk for a short period of time because we still do have children making Christmas sauruses in the background and I don't want to bore them any more than is possible. Um, I've never been very good at reflecting. We're looking at reflecting. Do you want the chocolate? Oh, hang on a second. There's a little pause and intermission. Do you want to take all of those back to your mum? There you go, you're going to go with a double-decker. Excellent news. There you go. Um, this is why we're doing a shorter talk. Um, I'm just not very good in general at bringing myself to stop and look backwards when I could be spending that time looking forwards at what the next thing is. I'm not very good, to be honest, at stopping in general. Um, Louise, my wife, has this app on her phone called Calm, and it's a mindfulness app. And what you do is you put this mindfulness app on, and it has, like, pictures of lovely lakes and sunsets and all this kind of stuff. And then it not only will count your breathing, so you can, you can generally slow down and take your time deliberately concentrating on your breathing, but also it has um, different settings for how much time that you want to give to being mindful. And Louise once managed to convince me to give this a go. And I wasn't really that up for it, to be honest. But she said, look, I'll put it on the shortest setting. It's three minutes. Even you can stop and reflect for three minutes. So she set this thing up for me and she passed me her phone and I went to press play and I saw on the little countdown thing that it was three minutes and seven seconds and I kid you not, genuinely my first response was indignation that I was going to wait an extra seven seconds on top of the three minutes that I had said that I would do this for. So I tried it. Um, Spent most of my time thinking that I'd been cheated out of seven seconds. It didn't exactly work for me. So reflecting it doesn't come all that naturally to me, but I have tried to get better at it because I think what we all know is that if we don't reflect at least a little bit on what we've done, we don't improve, do we? Um, this is a, a cricketer, Monty Palliser. He was a spin bowler for England, and he played for a number of years for England, but never really reached his full potential. He never really got as good as everyone expected that he would when he was a young player. And once there was an older spin bowler called Shane Warne who played for Australia. He was probably the best spin bowler in the world, and he had retired by this point, and he was now working in the media. And he was asked about 
Monty Panesar. Somebody said to him, why hasn't he kicked on? Why hasn't he moved on? Why hasn't he achieved the potential? Why hasn't he achieved what we thought he would? He's played 33 times for England now. He's played 33 test matches. Why hasn't he achieved what we thought he would? And Shane Warne replied, he said, Monty Panesar hasn't played 33 tests for England. He's played one test 33 times. His point is obvious, isn't it? He wasn't learning. Panasar wasn't learning. He wasn't able to build on the good performances by working out what he did well and replicating that the week after. He wasn't able to cut out the bad bits by looking, reflecting, learning on why he had bowled badly that day and cutting that out for the next time. So how do we get from Monty Panasar and Shane Warne to some theology? Those of you who know anything about cricket will know that Shane Warne isn't exactly well known as much of a theologian, but his quote about Monty Panesar is a good example of what Stephen Bevans in this book calls the praxis model of contextual theology. It's a book called Models of Contextual Theology, and it's just a book about how we put theology in context of the area around us. Here is the praxis model, one of these models of contextual theology. It says this, It says, committed action leads to reflection, which leads to committed and intelligent action. It starts with committed action. Then your theory is developed through a period of reflection, which is where you analyze the context in a theological point of view. You're rereading scripture. You're looking at Christian tradition. And then this leads us to a better informed, committed, and intelligent action, after which... There's another period of reflection, and the spiral continues. Basically, you do stuff, you reflect on it, you do stuff better. That's exactly what Shane Warne thought Monty Panesar wasn't doing. You do stuff, you reflect on it, you do stuff better. But the thing is, when I first read this book from Stephen Bevans and came across this praxis model, it actually helped me with the idea of reflection. Reflection made a bit more sense to me. It wasn't just reflecting for reflecting's sake. It wasn't just sitting in a room thinking about what I'd done and whether I did the right thing or not. Instead, it was reflecting which led to something. Reflection which made me better. Reflection which led to action. You do stuff, you reflect on it. You do stuff better. Maybe in other words, you learn by doing. And this idea of learning by doing has been an important one throughout Christian history. In the Old Testament, there are some words from the prophet Amos. In chapter 5 of the book of Amos, he says this, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Don't just sing. Do something. Or Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet who said this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, learn to do right, seek justice. Or one more verse from the New Testament, from a letter written by an early follower of Jesus called James. This is verse 22 of chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Go forward, take action, do something. 
Here's another thing for us too, I think. Alfie read to us from Genesis chapter 13 from the story of Abram who goes on to be called Abraham and Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew and they've moved together to the Negev where they gained a lot of wealth. They continue to move about and while they continue to move about, they gain more livestock, they gain more wealth and because they've got more livestock, they need more staff to look after these livestock and they need more space. So they keep moving, they keep moving, they keep getting more livestock, more money, more staff, needing more space and eventually they end up in a place called Bethel when they're in Bethel, they realize that they're so rich, they have so much livestock, so many staff, that their staff have been fighting because the land can't support them both. And so they decide to separate. Now, Lot is Abram's nephew, and so Abram should have the choice of which direction to go, which land to choose. Lot should say, it's up to you, you choose where you want to go, you pick, and I'll go the other way. But Lot gives Abram the Uh, Abraham gives Lot the choice. We read in verses 8 and 9. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you or me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, there are a couple of things that are interesting about this. The first starts the chapter before this. In chapter 12, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, leave Haran, where they'd been living, because God gives them this incredible promise. Verses 1 to 4. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So they moved to Egypt, and as they're about to enter Egypt, Abram says to Sarah, his wife, in verse 11, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So they do this. The Pharaoh does indeed take Sarah into his palace, and he does indeed treat Abram well. But then the Pharaoh finds out that Sarah is Abram's wife, and he lets them both go. And the Pharaoh says to Abram, why did you say she's your sister? And obviously, the reason that Abram said that It was because he was scared. When they entered Egypt, he was scared. So he made up something. Now, Abram had been told by God that he should leave Haran because God was going to make him a great nation. God would bless him. But he was scared. He didn't trust God enough, so he concocted some cover story. So what's interesting in chapter 13 in the verses that we read is that Abraham now trusts God enough to say to Lot, you make the call. Verse 10 says, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Abraham and Lot both knew that the east was good. They knew the east would support them. But they were less sure of the west. But Abraham unlike in the previous chapter, he trusted God enough to allow Lot to make the call. 
There's a theologian called Walter Brueggemann who says that the difference between Abraham's responses in chapters 12 and 13 show Abraham's journey from fear to faith, from being scared about what might happen to trusting in God. I think there's a lesson in that for us this morning, but I think there's also another lesson in the story that Alfie read. This morning when Alfie read the Bible to us, I asked him to read from a different translation of the Bible than we normally use. We usually use the NIV, the New International Version, but this morning we read that story from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. The NRSV is slightly more difficult to read than the NIV because it's a more literal translation. It sticks slightly closer to the original Hebrew or Greek, so it doesn't read as fluently, as easily as the NIV. But the reason that I asked Alfie to read that version is because of these verses. Verses 14 and 15. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. In the NIV, the first bit of that says, Look around from where you are to the north and south the east and the west. Look around from where you are. But I've always loved this imagery in the NRSV. Instead of look around you, it's raise your eyes now. Lift up your head. I feel like when I'm at my worst, I keep my head down. I get bogged down in the detail, bogged down in the day-to-day, in what the stuff I've got to do today in what the to-do list says that I've got to do, in just getting through to the end of the day. But when I'm at my best, I lift up my head. I think about what's ahead of me, what opportunities there are. No new thing ever happens when I've got my head down. All the new ideas, they come when I've lifted up my head, when I'm trying to see what's out there, what's beyond what's in front of me. And the other thing is that because I've lifted up my head, because I've raised my eyes, I can see those who I don't spot when my head is down. When I'm in the day-to-day, I know I focus too much on myself, on how I am, or the stuff I need to do. Am I okay? And I miss other people's cues. I miss when other people need support. Now, don't get me wrong here. There are times when it's absolutely right to look after yourself, to make sure that you are doing okay. You shouldn't constantly be looking to see what you can do to support others to the detriment of your own mental health. But there are also times when lifting up your head can be a really good thing. A really practical example of this is I've stopped wearing headphones when I walk around our hub. Most of you will know we live really close to here. The girls go to Oasis Academy Johanna, the primary school that we run, which is about a five-minute walk away. Um, I come here for church on a Sunday, and I come here Monday to Friday to the office as well. And I spend a lot of time just walking between the school, the house, the office, the church, a lot of time walking around in this direction. And so I've stopped wearing my headphones because I noticed that a lot of time 
I'd be just wandering around listening to music. I'd see somebody, a parent from the school, somebody I work with, a volunteer, somebody who'd come in to use our debt advice service, something. And because I'm listening to my headphones, I might wave, I might smile, I might shout hi, but that's where the interaction ends. Because when I've got my headphones in, I've got my head down. I'm in my own space. I'm not looking out to see what's around. So I'm trying now just to get the headphones out, just that when I walk around you, my head is lifted up. I've lifted up my gaze. I'm trying to see what's around. The best person that I know isn't here this morning, the best person at this that I know. Felicity, who most of you will know, who's our community development manager, she is amazing at keeping her head up and looking out to see what's around her. If you ever are in the office and uh, it gets to lunchtime and Flick says to you, do you want to go and grab some lunch? Here's the thing you say. You say no. Because for Flick, if you leave the office, the 100-yard walk to Sainsbury's there can easily take you 15 minutes because every single step along the way, there'll be somebody that she knows from the local community who she will stop and have a conversation with. Sometimes when you go for lunch with Flick, you'll get back from Sainsbury's and you check in the best before date on the sandwich that you've just bought to see if it's gone out of date yet. (laughs) She is fantastic at raising up her eyes. And I wonder if that's what we need to think about, not just for this morning, but for the year ahead. Raise your eyes now. Lift up your head. Raise it up. Lift it up. Look around you. Don't spend 2020 so bogged down in the day-to-day that you miss the opportunity to do something great. What's the thing that you always wanted to do, but haven't? What dream have you let go of? What job did you actually want to do before you started this one? And then, well, you got a couple of promotions and you get a decent wage now, so you can't really leave it and start again. What do you actually want to do with the rest of your life? Or how about your involvement here? Leanne talked about the connect groups that we run. So we run small groups, but we also run a running club and a cycling club and a book club and loads of other bits and pieces. You could get involved in that. But what's the thing that you love? Is there something that you want to do? Do you want to start one of these connect groups? Gather people around you. Spend more time on the thing that you actually love. If you do, come and grab me at the end. I'd love to speak to you about how we can help you to make that work. What's the thing you always wanted to do? What dream have you let go of? I have this quote printed out and stuck in a frame on my desk at home. It's written by an author, Paolo Coelho, and it says, One day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. One day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you always wanted. Do it now. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like that's a message I need to hear over and over and over again. That's why I printed it out and I've stuck it in a frame on my desk. So every time I sit down to write a talk like this or write an essay for the course I'm doing or just do some work in the evening, I always have that reminder there. 
do it now. Don't waste any more time. There are a million excuses for why you won't get around to the thing that you really want to do, aren't there? There will always be a million excuses. Raise your eyes now. Lift up your head. Do it now. I'm going to stop there. We'll end with a bit of time for reflection. Rach is going to come and play something for us. And then we'll go into the last song that we will sing um, this morning. While we do that, the offering buckets will be sent around. And that's your opportunity to give to the work that we do in this community. But don't feel under any pressure to do so. If you're a visitor here, please do feel free to pass that bucket by. But anything that you do give goes to our work in the community. But I'll just, as Rach plays this, before we sing our last song, just put these four uh, uh, questions up uh, on the screens behind us. Spend some time reflecting on these while Rach plays before we sing our final song. What are you looking forward to? Who needs your support? And how will you offer that help? In 2020, what are you going to do which scares you? And finally, what big vision are you going to work towards?